0: More details.
2: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. Ben, we've got a topic that uh, has been a long time coming. It has been a
4: long time coming. Scott, we have talked on air and off air at length about doing an episode on this topic, and now the wait is over, we are finally going to do our very first episode on kit cars, and before we get into it, I think we owe a couple of people a uh, note of thank you. I think we do, Thanks, yeah. Thanks, I mean. And
3: yeah, no- we've got a couple of listeners, one was, uh, not, I guess... Maybe we should start with uh, the most recent, really. Um, the most recent was a guy that we mentioned in our Nuts and Bolts episode. Uh-huh. And uh, we said that we're going to get to this quick, but um, his name is uh, Adrian. Yes. And Adrian wrote in and says, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase okay. phrase most of this. It's a long email. Um, big follower and avid regular listener of your show. Thank you. Um, fan of just about anything and everything car-related. Uh, however, growing up in the 70s and 80s, I always had a fond fascination with kit cars. Uh, from VW Beetle based kit cars to the Pontiac Fiero and other base kit cars, it seemed like you could build anything or you could replicate anything back then. The only limit was your imagination. Nowadays, you'll find that that um, you'll find less kits that use VW VW pans and more that use modern donor cars such as Toyota MR2s and even Honda Accords, like the K1 attack car. Um, the home-based kit builders have grown up, and what many used to refer to as kits are actually being built and assembled by full-fledged builders such as Factory 5, uh, Vintage Speedsters, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's mentioning that a lot of these machines, before they hit the road, the Department of Motor Vehicles, uh, they've, they've started to become a lot stricter with the way they require them to be, to be registered. Uh, he says, for example, I myself own a replica of a 1955 Porsche Speedster by Classic Motor Carriages, and here in my home state of California, it's registered as a special construction vehicle no longer is it legal to register the car based on the pan because it's no longer a 1966 vw beetle um insurance is another hurdle as their value is very objective and can sometimes be challenged by the owner versus the insurer so uh there's this this uh, weird you know thing that happens with the insurance value as well yeah. um lastly and this is again the last part of the email i find it fascinating how aggressive some car manufacturers are with protecting their brand such as ferrari versus how passive other car manufacturers such as porsche um, are in kind of protecting their brand name. Uh, Ferrari goes after every builder that tries to replicate any of their models, like the Testarossa or the Daytona, while Porsche is pretty lenient about builders that replicate their vintage 356, 550, and 904 models. So um, he just says he didn't recommend, you know, or really recollect hearing that uh, we've done a, a kit car podcast in the past, and he's correct. He's totally correct. You know who else is correct? Uh,
4: our friend Luke. Mm -hmm. from england and luke wrote into us also and he said uh hi i've been listening to your podcast a few months now after finding it and it's lovely every podcast Thank you, Luke. Uh, that's us writing that, not him. <laughs> the thank you part. Uh, he is from Newcastle upon Tyne, and he thought a podcast on kit cars would be interesting. Yeah, we had a little back and forth with Luke, right? Yes, uh, Scott, you wrote back to Luke because Luke owns his own kit car, a Robin Hood
3: Two B. Yeah, you should check that out online if you uh, have never seen a Robin Hood two B and I think Robinhood is one of the uh uh the big kit car manufacturers that they they put out a lot of kits every year. Uh this one in particular looks like a uh, like a Lotus 7 design. And uh Luke's car is really, really nice looking. It's a uh, it's a blue and uh stainless um well it looks like a Lotus 7, but again it's a Robin Hood two B. But it's a really neat kit car and he's got a fantastic uh, backdrop to drive this thing in. I mean, it's yeah. a the, the scenery and the photos that he sent along just absolutely spectacular. Really, really pretty.
4: And uh, this makes a good segue, Scott. We'll talk about your response to luke mm-hmm. uh which i have here uh because you did something that i really appreciated and you pointed out that we have done a podcast called could i build my own car mm-hmm. now that's a deep cut my friend it's, yeah it's from 08 but that leads us to the first thing we need to do which is define what a kit car actually
3: is exactly and i need to say this because you know when we did that episode we did that on a uh, on on a building your own car from scratch that was can i start with nothing and right. make my own car. Um, kit cars are not one-of-a-kind cars like these hand-built individual vehicles. Uh, what they are is a, it's a kit that's produced by a factory or shop that's then sold to somebody uh, to complete, you know, in your own garage or, you know, at some other location, a shop somewhere. Um, so, in other words, more than one copy of this, this vehicle exists. Usually, you know, Several, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands, of the vehicle. Um, so you know, it's not, it's not again a, a scratch-built vehicle that is that, built by you starting with nothing. Right, know? it's not and a and one-off. I, exactly, exactly. This is a uh, you know something that you order from a factory. It comes in crates. Or pieces or however, and, uh, or many different ways as we'll find out. Right. There's a couple of levels of this thing. Good point. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not a one-off car, as you say.
4: Yeah. And the, uh, what's interesting here with the kit cars is that they actually have a long history. This is not by any means a mm-hmm. new event. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, when we were doing some research for this, Scott, uh, this reminded me of, the earlier days of the automotive industry when it was sort of expected that you might buy a the basis of a car like the engine and maybe the the basic chassis or body sure and then go to a coach builder who would customize the rest of it
3: yeah and we think of that now as something that you know the only the elite did you right know, that, it, that you would take a uh, you know the frame of a I don't know what what a Bugatti. Sure. And you would take it to a coach builder and you have them create this spectacular coach, you know, with custom leather stitched interior and uh you know all the chrome and stainless accents that you wanted. Um, really honestly there was a point in time where you could buy a, uh, I guess I don't know what they called it, a, a cab over. Fr- uh, what was it? Not a cab over design. I'm thinking of a uh, like a rolling chassis. Oh yeah, There's yeah. Basically yeah. an engine, a driver's seat, and a steering wheel on it on a frame, uh-huh. and then you had somebody build a body onto it. Or I you, think it you, came with wheels. You could do that. That's a that's an inexpensive way to get a vehicle. Now of course you could get all. You know a lot of people would would buy these for work vehicles. They may buy a, a cab like a pickup truck cab, right? And then have them build their own box on the back. You know to to Specifications, whatever Which they they could do much cheaper if they did it on their own. Correct, whatever they needed, right? But you could also buy these things that had no body on them at all, and take it to you know the local carpenter or blacksmith or whoever, and have them build a body for you. Yeah,
4: or uh, to um, our buddy Aaron Cooper's point, you take it to your local funeral and furniture. <laughs>
3: Parlor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the odd combination of, uh, yeah, the furniture. And that store. probably
4: is where some people got their pickup truck beds built. You know what? I would think that that's not out of the question. So these kit cars, uh, we, uh we've established that it is a older phenomenon yeah. than some people might expect. These really took off sort of mid-century, uh, mid-20th century, mm-hmm. right? And people would, uh, people would go nuts for kit cars, man, because you
3: could, you could get replicas of vehicles that ordinarily you could never afford. Yeah, that were unattainable because, I mean, let's say that you've got a, a, a car that, you know, is from the from the factory, from the dealer, it yeah. uh, would cost you in the neighborhood of, let's, where I'm talking about now, okay. like $300,000. No way. No I way. Say. I'm, yeah, I mean, how are we going to, hey, you and I are going to afford something like that, right? Oh, we can't. Yeah. So, um, but let's say we do maybe have, I don't know, this is a lot of money too, but let's say we have $50,000. Okay. And you want a, uh, a reasonable representation of that vehicle in replica form, uh, you can get something like that. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, you're going to the, uh, you know, some company that, that sells, you know, like the complete thing full, you know, like here's, here's what it costs. It's like $50, a turnkey thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're gonna give you this kit and it's only gonna cost you maybe $15,000 and then you supply, A lot of the other parts that, that have to be there in order for this thing to make it to the road.
4: Yeah. So when the parts that they supply will be things like the engine block, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, the transmission. Well, Uh uh,
3: maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. It does depend on the type. See, yeah. Now this is that, now the engine and transmission you just mentioned, that's kind of a rarity in that, you know, most of the time when you're buying a kit, you're going to buy a kit that has everything except that.
4: Ah, um, oh wait, yes, you're
3: right. I flipped it because you might buy the body or something yeah, or what they call a donor car, yes, and the donor car is critical in a lot of these cases now, I think you got that's up because yeah that's what I was trying to say because
4: skipped, the engine comes from the
3: donor. yeah, car. we skipped our donor car a bit here and and yeah. I think we need to, to just catch up with this that oftentimes when you'll buy a kit, You'll need to buy something called a donor car also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the donor car is, it could be a Pontiac Viero. It Could be a Beetle. It could be a, yeah, a Beetle. <laughs> a lot of cases it was a Beetle and they switched because they're harder to find now. Yeah. Um, so now maybe it's a Honda Accord mm-hmm. or maybe it's a, uh, you know, an older Mustang. Uh, Corvettes are a popular donor car. Yeah. You know, one quick thing I need to mention here. What's that? I went to, uh, kitcar.com. Yeah, that's,
4: you know, that's a great website.
3: KitCarMagazine.com, I think is what it is. Okay. And, um, I went to the classified sections, and I, and I looked up a bunch of stuff there, and they've got all these, you know, the classifieds have all these different categories that you can search through. Yes. And they have completed kits, they have partially completed kits, Mm -hmm. uncompleted kits, engine, body, donor cars, tools, miscellaneous wanted, things like that. They even sell molds? I went to the donor cars part of this, right? Uh huh. And I started looking through the donor cars, And if you were trying to buy... Let's say that you didn't really want a kit car, but you just wanted to buy a Pontiac Fiero. Yeah. This is a great place to go. There were so many Pontiac Fieros that were in really decent shape there for sale that I think this is like a a, kind of a a backdoor source for something like this. So if you want an old Mustang or an old... Let's say a a Corvette that's not completely right. You want something that's you know drivable, but uh, maybe it needs some cosmetic body work. And someone has just said, I'm going to sell this as a donor car for a kit car. But somebody else could kind of, like I said, a backdoor way to get in on this this Corvette would be to say, I'm going to go to the donor section, buy that Corvette, and not really make it a kit car. I'm just going to use it as a Corvette. You know, ah, I'm, going to re- I'm going to restore that car. Very clever, Scott. Um, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, well, the donor cars, they run the, uh, the entire range here. Do you, do
4: you have like a ballpark on that Fiero? Uh,
3: <laughs> you know, some of them are around, you know, $2,000. Wow. Up to, uh, maybe, you know, $6,000. You know, it depends on the condition they are, the, sure. the year, the make, the model. Um, you know, the ones, with the V6, I think were far more desirable, the GT model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of those are a little more pricey. That makes sense. But, uh, but again, a very solid donor car for the kit that you buy. And, you know, that will be specified in the instructions what you exactly need. Yes. And uh, when we get to
4: the construction of the kit car, this is, <laughs> see, this is the one point that I think we did miss when we said the kit car deal, right? You buy the kit car, you've got the donor car, um, they're supplying you these parts, and it's on you to get some of this other material. But there is another associated cost with kit cars, my friend, that does not factor into um just buying a car outright and that
3: is time. Oh my gosh, the time which can vary so greatly yeah. uh from kit to kit. Yeah. And uh it depends on if you're buying a what they call rebody kit mm. where you're basically just taking the uh the shell of a vehicle and putting it on on a donor car vehicle, you know, chassis. Right. And that's driveline. the that's the low end of time. I think so. Yeah. yeah. That's more the uh the kits that are advertised like, you know, in, in 100 hours you can have this vehicle. Um, and, yeah, I did say 100 hours for the low end on these. I mean, they can go – the time estimated to complete some of these goes up into the thousands of thousands. man hours. yeah. Thousands, so and that's if you know what you're doing. That's, <laughs> and, that's if you don't mess up and you know what you're I'll doing. I'll be honest with you. This, this type project, um, if you – know anybody that knows anything about cars a lot of times if you mention kit cars around them they raise their eyebrows like i would never even attempt that um it's It's a commitment for sure it can be difficult it can be uh it can be very very time consuming a lot of times you know these cars will sit in people's garages for a long long time uh, and they finally just give up on them. That's why you know in the classifieds, you'll find the uh, the partially completed cars, so many unfinished yes, models. The, the partially completed section seems to be um, you know the one that has the most vehicles listed in it, and that's probably for good reason. but really thousands of hours, even you know very competent professionals, mechanics say that you know this is a tough thing to do. if you're not really up for this challenge, uh, maybe maybe you know you should look at a different level of this because there are different levels kit cars that you can buy, the different ways you can purchase a kit.
4: Yes, great point. Uh, so we mentioned turnkey kit cars earlier. I'm going to go ahead and say that these are the easiest types of kit cars sure. to do because your primary act is going to be buying them. Uh, they're, they're called turnkey because wait for it. You can pay for it and put the key in the car and drive away. Yeah. Not, not a bad deal, right? Right. And um, for some people, that's, that's not the same thing or that this is primarily for people who want to have a car that is Completely different,
3: yeah, unattainable in some way, right? Um, you know, either either money wise, or there just aren't any copies of this thing out there that they can get that haven't been raced at Le Mans in the past,
4: right? And they don't have perhaps the um, either the financial means or the equipment necessary. Because let's be honest, we're talking we're we're talking some uh, a significant investment of equipment if you don't already own it. Yeah, I
3: know we're jumping all over the place. Oh, okay. so, no, that's okay. But but really, the I wanted to mention about the tools because you're going to need. And I, I hate to be so discouraging on this. I don't. I really don't intend to be this discouraging. We're not discouraging.
4: We're informing people. Exactly.
3: I don't. I don't want to be discouraging in any way because I think somebody should try this if they feel like they want to. Because it's something. It's a good. It's a good lesson.
4: You got a tool breakdown.
3: I. I not a tool breakdown. It's just that I, I think that people. Should be prepared to purchase a lot of tools. Now, I know if you Mm -hmm. have a great tool set at home, that's that's a good starting point. But I think when you're building a car, you're going to find along the way that you've got a a lot of extra needs that you normally wouldn't think that you would have. um, You know, just for general your general tool set. Um, Like you may need an impact gun, or you may need a wheel puller, you may need you know a timing light or a ball joint press or things like that uh, along the way. Small things, but they add up over time. And, uh, you know, your, your competency with those hand tools and with those other tools, that, that plays into this as well. I mean, you gotta have a little bit of mechanical know-how to start something like this. And I think once you're done, of course, you're gonna be, well, not master mechanic, but you're gonna be pretty good at what you do. You're gonna have a lot of confidence.
4: Exactly. You will have been through the fire. Mm -hmm. It's a baptism by fire for sure. There's another, there's another thing though, a little half step though. Mm -hmm. If you, don't want the whole turnkey experience, but you're not quite comfortable yet to go for the crates. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, one thing you could consider is getting a used kit car. This requires a great deal of research because it is, there's no way around it. There's no shortcut to it. It is a case by case basis. If I were to buy a kit car, I would say you have to go look at the vehicle itself. You have to know, um, it's, it's pedigree, unfortunately, is not, it, it doesn't count as much as it would for the pedigree of, you know, like a, a well-owned used car that's not a kit car. Sure.
3: Yeah, because it all depends on how well that kit was put together, how, you know, how much craftsmanship was involved in the, in the, the build process, and if somebody mm-hmm. cut corners on something right. that they shouldn't have, you know, and that could be as dangerous as something that's safety. Related. I mean, it could be you know welding on the chassis. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to pay attention to all of that stuff when you're when you're buying a kit car. And you mentioned earlier that you know this is really a, a minefield of of problems. I mean, if you're buying a used kit car, um, really, really do your bit your uh, your homework mm-hmm. and and you know do your due diligence and go out and check out the car. Maybe have it checked out by a mechanic, even if you normally don't do something like that. Yeah, you, you look at it on your own. Really have somebody give it a once over with uh, you know the uh mic you know um, magnifying glass um mm-hmm. you know make sure that all those welds on the chassis are solid that you know the the engine and trans are lined up correctly and that you know everything is shifting correctly and um you know the glass fits right so there's no water leaks um there's all these different things you have to really consider when you're buying a kit car uh, a partially assembled kit car yeah. if you're doing it yourself you know of course that's all up to you right and, and, uh, well. and again that goes back to you know the the kit you know all these different levels i mean these can go from you can buy a book of plans you know, yes. that's like, you know, 400 pages long or whatever and it tells you, alright, here's your shopping list to go out and get this, this, and this and then here's how you're going to put it together and cut these to this length and weld this to that and, you Ooh. know, that's, that's the extreme basic version of this. Then you can buy a kit, which is the crates that we mentioned, you know, where everything comes to you and you just have to find a way to put it all together. Oftentimes, with yeah, lo- it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. With, uh, with, a, oftentimes with a lot of modification to, you know, some of that stuff to make it fit. Cause you'll find some surprises along the way, I guarantee it. Right. And, um, uh,
4: you should, by the way, get all of the extra pieces you need. Uh, I, I read
3: somewhere down to every last nut and bolt mm-hmm. from the supplier if you can, the yes. same people who made the kit card. Yes, that's, a, that's, a, that's very good advice because uh, if you go somewhere else, then you're going to have to modify something down the line in order to make that work.
4: And you might run into a domino effect where in the modifications that you made to one aspect of the card during one part of the build have ramifications and just sort of ripple out because... Because you wanted to use some stuff you already had that mm-hmm. didn't really match, yeah, then it uh, it could spell it could trouble down the road. This is, I mean, this is not impossible. Yeah. It's just an
3: investment of time, and as we know, prior planning prevents poor results. I'm going to mention Luke's email here just one more time because he went through something very similar to this. Yeah, um, the guy that he bought the car from uh, was an engineer, and it took him five years to to build it to the point where where Luke picked it up. Um, but he gave it up. He gave up the process because he was building to something that they have over there that's called, in Europe, that's called the, uh, the SVA or single vehicle approval, which is a roadworthy test that a government agency runs to make sure that the cars are safe to drive on public roads. Um, so due to this long build, that this guy had this five years. Yeah. Um, you know, he's building to this SVA standard. Uh, they changed over from SVA to IVA in the interim, which is the individual vehicle approval, which is a much harder test to pass. Oh, um, man. and a lot of the bolts, uh, the way he fitted things together were going to be unpassable with the new road laws. Uh, and that's why the guy sold the car. He said, you know, this is just too much. I can't, I can't handle going back and changing everything, every, everything, wow. every bolt I put in the car. You know, the strength has to be a different strength and, and, you know, you may think that, well, you can probably make this pass, right? Well, get this, I mean, this is how tough this test is. This is something like a, um, it's an eight hour test that you have to go through. And when you go to like, uh, what would be the equivalent here of the DMV, like mm-hmm. the Department of Motor Vehicles, but yeah. you have a, a roadworthy test that, that you, uh, you go for, and, uh, you have to prove everything is built, because this is an amateur built vehicle. So he had to prove that everything was built to spec, um, again, an eight-hour test. Everything is checked, and they make sure that the uh, the right strength bolt is used in every application. Wow! And if you can't see that bolt for whatever reason, it's blocked uh, from from the inspector's view. You have to be able to provide a photograph of that bolt in its location that's clear enough for them to see that that bolt is the the spec strength that they require. And um, if there's no photo available, you have to tear down the vehicle to that point so that they can see that bolt. And uh, this and it's expensive test. It's a um, a 500 pound test, and if what? you want to come back, it's, it's ninety it's ninety pounds to retest. So every time you go back, it's ninety pounds. So you better have it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's expensive. That's a lot of uh, a lot of effort that goes into this. I mean, these these uh, these. I guess there's two levels of IVA compliance, and because of this amateur build um, that that he's got, you know, this this kit car that comes under this special vehicle, or it's called the basic um, IVA compliance, uh, which is like an amateur built or a, um, a left-hand drive cars are sometimes subject to this. Uh, a normal level IVA compliance, I guess, is most cars, most cars that fit that category. Are, you know, the ones that are just your typical road cars, yeah, uh, in Europe. So they they have a, a, a slightly less strict um, compliance that they mm-hmm. have to reach.
0: Visit Safeway.com for more details.
2: <sighs> spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio too. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
4: And this is is a very good point because it's something that some people may feel uh, a little insecure about it has an extra layer of uncertainty at it mm-hmm. and that's this idea that it would be absolutely brutal man can you imagine spending 800 plus hours building your own kit car only to find that it is not street legal. This happens, um, of course, in, it's a possibility in many countries. Germany has uh, the same sort of thing. Uh, anything that can go over um, very small, like six kilometers an hour mm-hmm. or something. Wow. Uh, anything that can, I know it's under 10, has to have a, a, a sort of uh, either an operating license, what's called an ECTG permission, or a technical inspection. Very yeah. much like the one you mentioned in the United Kingdom, very strenuous. Yeah, strenuous and, test. And in the United States, it even go, gets a little bit weirder because this country has so many individual states that the laws go state by state.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you go across a state line, it's completely different. Uh, if you, you know, let's say that we're here in Georgia and we go over to we move over to Tennessee and we're going to license our car there, they may have a completely different set of rules for kit cars or amateur build cars, mm-hmm. um, and and you know. It, it's it's often a lot easier than what we we heard of there in the IVA and the SVA yeah, and all that's, that. That's a lot. That's of work. very very strict. But they do have roadworthy tests and and, and mm. um, you know rules and procedures that you have to adhere to in order to to make it pass. It does have to be roadworthy, but it is going to be a lot of reading. And speaking of books and reading. Yeah, Ben, I am so excited about this and, and normally we don't say we're super excited about, about one of our, one of our picks, I mean, but I'm really, really excited about this one and you'll find out in just a moment why. Oh, and we're talking about Audible, uh,
4: Audible.com. That
3: is our sponsor.
4: They make Audio books.
3: Audio books that we can listen to while we're out driving around town doing whatever we're doing, you know, mm-hmm. road trips, whatever. This one, I tell you, I was so excited when I saw this one pop up on the list that it's available. What is it? Stephen King's Christine. Is available on audiobook. Oh, finally! Yeah, I know, and this is so cool. Now, this is now people will probably remember this from the 1983 film and novel, um, but this is a a much more in-depth version. And I read the reviews on this, and I listened to the narration just the sample already. I haven't l- downloaded the whole thing, but I I promise you, I'm going to. Okay, this is so cool. It's 19 hours and 32 minutes long. Wow! Now, well, it's a idea. novel. It is a novel, and it's it's really good. Now you know Stephen King's writing, so it's uh, it's terrifying to begin with, right? <laughs> right. Um, but it's I guess a lot of people that were on the site, you know, that had reviewed this one said they watched the movie, and they were really kind of underwhelmed by it. A now, hesitant Now, to but I tell you, in. I liked the movie. I thought it was kind of cool. I was younger at the time, so you know yeah. it, was, it was interesting to me. But I guess maybe as an adult, I'd find it a little corny or whatever, maybe a little dated. Maybe, of course. But um, you know, it's a John Carpenter film, mm-hmm. uh, so it, you know, it had had good credentials, right? And right. It, it, I saw some clips recently, very cool stuff. But they say that uh, this book or the, even the audiobook version of it goes far beyond what what happens in the movie and, and this is a, a much more in depth story of course. You know you get yeah. a lot of backstory with this. Absolutely. Uh, the really cool thing about this to a lot of people was that it goes more into the um the backstory on the previous owner of Christine, uh, which is a really creepy Beginning to this thing now, it's about the uh, about seventeen year old Arnie Cunningham and how he falls in love with Christine and Christine's not a person. Christine is a nineteen fifty eight Plymouth Fury, mm-hmm. and what ends up being a a gorgeous, gorgeous car, a really beautiful car. But uh, but unfortunately, this is also a haunted car. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it sounds a little corny, but uh, Christine, the the novel Christine, I tell you, it's it's scary. It's a scary story
4: it is scary you know what it may be
3: uh, i'm going to go so far and say it's not for kids uh, no i don't think it is there's a lot of uh, you know coarse language in this as well sure. but um, the the narrator of this thing adds a lot to it um, so that you know as you the voice that everybody will hear when they download this book if they download this book um, the narrator gets top marks in this one as well so it, yeah. he really adds to the experience of of this uh, the scary novel
4: now, you know, I love a good horror story, and mm-hmm. I am taking a trip in a little while, so this might be right up my alley. Uh, but we should add, for anybody else who's taking a road trip or a jaunt around the town for errands, that this audiobook could be uh, yours for free. You, all you have to do is uh, go to audiblepodcast.com slash car stuff, let them know we sent you, and... You can download a free audiobook of your choice. It doesn't even have to be Christine. No,
3: but it should be because uh, <laughs> I tell you, I, I'm I'm totally hooked on this now. I just, you know, just before we came in here, I was kind of searching around for what I was going to recommend. This one, I, I'm really excited about it. I, tr- I truly am. I think uh, I think our listeners would find this one exciting. At least our our listeners above a certain age, because you know, it's kind of it was an R-rated movie, I think, and and mm-hmm. the book follows along that same line. So. You know, use good judgment on that.
4: Yeah, we did a little bit of COA, if you will, and yeah. said there's some language, yeah. there's some violence. But let me
3: tell you, it's so cool. It's so, it it's, so cool. It's really a good story, and uh, and I, I just watching Arnie's descent into madness and, and this car and everything, I mean, it the, the images that you'll get in your mind are just, a, it's, it's an amazing book.
4: Yeah, when I, this might be kind of dumb, Scott, but when I first read Christine, I was actually a kid, mm-hmm. and I was too young to drive. And then I thought, wow, maybe I can find a haunted car. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Which and we've done it. a
3: podcast on, by the way. We
4: have done a podcast on haunted cars. Um, and we should go back because I apologize, man. I interrupted you. I just got so excited when yeah. we were talking about. We were talking reading.
3: about different levels and, you know, like the book of plans is where, you know, one thing that you could get, you can get a kit with all the, the crates and everything. Right. Yep. Um, you mentioned a turnkey car and there's also something called an untrimmed turnkey car that you can get from a lot of companies. And that's with, uh, you know, where it's missing like lights and gauges and, um, you know, wheels and tires and things like that, so that you know it's it's a it's a vehicle that's pretty much functional. You just need to add these details, specifically how you want to make it your own, uh, like the interior, you know, that type of thing. Right. And then there's another one that um, I think a lot of companies offer this, and it's a it's called a roller. Mm-hmm. And you can get a roller car uh, from a lot of these different kit car manufacturers that they assemble almost all of the car less the driveline so that it does not have the engine and transmission but it has everything else in place and you're just waiting for whatever whatever type of engine and trans you want to put into the car and i think a lot of people opt for this option it's it's a it's a relatively inexpensive way to get a kit car uh completely built and ready to go and then you know if you can find an engine source somewhere else you know that's some yeah. kind of really Killer combination that you want to put in this thing, you know, a Corvette engine and trans or whatever, um, you know, then you're free to do that. I mean, as long as you can weld and get that thing in there, you can modify it to work, um, or you know, they they set it up for you ahead of time so that it works. Yeah, um, a roller car is really a good option for a lot of people.
4: Yeah, and I think an untrimmed turnkey car is a great option too for someone who says, you know, I feel like I'm, comp- I've got my competency mm-hmm. in some of these things, but I'm not quite ready for uh the moment when I open those crates. It was so weird to go through some of these forums, Scott, and see people with these tales of of woe, man, and these oh, uh yeah. these uh tales of hard worn triumph. I mean a kit car really sounds like such an amazing thing to do. If I had the time, I would do it, but I feel like if I purchase the kit car now right mm-hmm. sure that uh it would take me more than two years based on my you know based on the time i could put into it sure. and the stuff that i would need to learn it would take t- more than two years and
3: you know what i would think that two years would be about average i think a lot of people you know buy these things and they get to the part where you know it's, it's nearly done and then it just sits under a tarp for a long time. I think that happens a lot of times. And you'll find – I mean, again, if you go to the classified sections of, of, of Kit Car magazine, you'll find unfinished kit cars or partially completed kits yeah, um, galore. I mean, they're all over the place. And, you know, you can find them relatively cheap. But, you know, what are you buying there? Because, you know, these, these have already been modified in some way, put together. Uh, there's a lot of, like, you know, body work that goes into these that you don't really think about ahead of time as well. Yeah. Um, how competent are you at, at body work? You know, I'm, I'm not at all, really. Um, but, you know, th- there's also the risk that, you know, okay, here's a good example. We, uh, we okay. talked about the, uh, the long build time on the, uh, on the, uh, Robinhood 2B that, that Luke purchased. Yes. Um, Five years ahead of time, then Luke bought the car, right? So you know it's probably another couple years after that that you know the thing is finally on the road. In that time, now Luke is lucky that you know Robin Hood happens to be a company that's you know in it for the long haul. Yes. Um, A lot of times these companies will go out of business, and Mm. then there's the risk that you know let's say you need a part that didn't come with the kit, you know that you just purchased from somebody. How are you going to find you know I don't know a kit from or part from Fiberfab? incorporated that was, you know, manufactured back in 1974, Yeah. Um, how many of those do you think are out there? Um, you know, the answer is not very many. And, and how are you going to find a windshield for your uh, Manta Mirage? You know, that's, <laughs> that type of thing. You know, and I'm, these are just examples off the top of my head. I know right. that there's sources for all this stuff, but... Um, You know, and also imagine doing this ahead, you know, ahead of the internet before, you know, you had access to all these different things. It's pretty much a local thing, you know, like a word of mouth. You're trying to find something through a shop or trying to call around and find, find parts from across the country and then have it shipped, you know, via the U.S. Postal Service or, Mm -hmm. or however you got that. Um, it's just, there's a, there's a whole spider web of trouble that can happen, but it can also be an extremely, extremely rewarding situation too because not only have you built this thing from scratch, you've you've held every nut and bolt in your hand, and and you know every bit of that car. You know how to fix everything that breaks. You know where there may be problems, where there you know where things are solid. Um, it, it, there's there's really something very satisfying to doing something like
1: this. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen, and it's starting at only twenty eight ninety eight a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window...
4: The potential cons. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can, if you can get this going and you can stick with it, Mm -hmm. you know, make yourself a a schedule, agree with yourself about how much time you're going to spend on it, Mm -hmm. right? And commit to that. And you can get all the way through and then fix all the problems that are going to pop up and good things will happen too. I know we're making it sound like it's this harrowing experience, but they're really good moments. And the best one is going to be the first time you start that car that you built. And you drive it around and every, everybody else, where are they doing? They're going to to
3: car lots. Yeah, know? isn't that cool? So this can be the highest highs and the lowest lows, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, and everything in between, because I mean, the sense of satisfaction that you have, you know, of driving a car that you built from scratch, you know, from a kit rather. Um, and, and everybody else is in their Honda Accord or Honda Civic or you know their uh, their Ford F one fifty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just got to feel really good about something like that. That you know you can you can handle anything that this car. You know, sends your way any yeah. trouble yeah you can even
4: be a little smug when it comes to your own car i think so uh and you've earned it yeah, now definitely. uh one thing we should go back to scott we mentioned in adrian's email which we read earlier uh wherein he asked a really good question he says why are some brands so protective like why are some marks so protective of their well, of their badges their icon like why is porsche cool with kit cars why does is, what is was it Ferrari?
3: Yeah, Ferrari. That's very very tight with their with their branding. Now I, I went I don't have a I don't have an exact answer why some companies are so so strict about this and others are lenient on it. Um, but I can tell you that I, that I found some information from a company called Pocket Classics, and Pocket Classics makes um, almost like you know, bigger than go kart size, but they're but they're smaller than full car size. Replicas of of automobiles, and they make you know these Ferrari California models. Oh, I'm sorry, they just call it the California models. They don't oh. call it Ferrari. Okay. Um, so they don't they don't they they're specific about not um, using the Ferrari name, right? Yes. And uh, there's a couple other models. They have they have a Porsche model, but they don't call it that. They call it the Speedster. Okay. Um, you know things like that, right? So now, just no no names. For the companies themselves, exactly. So the Aston Martin isn't called the Aston Martin; it's just it's, the DB5 or something. Exactly, something like that, right? Now they've got a uh, kind of an interesting branding uh, disclaimer that they include with their brochure. Okay. And uh, now, if you choose to to put a Ferrari decal on your California model. Uh, Pocket Classic, that's your own business. They don't do it from, they don't do it from the, uh, from the factory that way though. Okay? So yes. for branding, uh, what they say is our, and I'll just read it from here, our vehicles are miniature recreations of some of the world's most famous cars. We are not connected in any way with Ferrari, AC, Jaguar, Citroën, or Aston Martin. These vehicles are in no way endorsed by any of the manufacturers, have no commercial relationship with those companies, and are designed as tributes only. Um, We don't imply that any pocket classic car vehicle is the product of, endorsed by, or has any association whatsoever with any other manufacturer. So they're saying, you know, that we're going to badge, we're going to call this to California. It's going to look exactly like a Ferrari California, a small version. Sure. Um, It's not going to be branded Ferrari in any way. It's our California model. You just take with it and do what you want to do. Well, I have I have a little
4: bit of an answer here that I think can dovetail on yours and maybe build up our response to Adrian's excellent question. Sure, and that is um, the primary difference between these kit cars and between uh, this company's smaller cars is that the kit cars are going to be seen on the road and to the untrained eye they could be mistaken. For you know, a Ferrari or something. Oh, sure. And we earlier have touched on the concept of what's called brand dilution. So people who've heard our previous podcast know that car makers themselves have occasionally run into trouble when they make a car that dilutes their brand in some way. Uh, most often, this happens when there's really high class car just for the swells. Like for instance, if um, if Rolls Royce came out with a brand new Phantom that was $15,000. A lot of Rolls
3: Royce's normal customer base would be live it. They'd be outraged at It'd that. They'd be outraged. However, you can buy a Rolls Royce kit for your Chrysler 300. Exactly. And it looks exactly like a Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a body kit that you, you know, rebody your Chrysler 300 mm-hmm. and the kit may cost $15,000. So you, you have your donor three Chrysler 300. Mm-hmm. You add this kit that looks like a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or whatever you want to, you know, add on to it. It's usually a big luxury vehicle, of course. Yeah. And, uh, again, is that brand dilution? I, I guess it is because there's another, What seems like a Rolls Royce on the road that's really not a Rolls. I mean, and people that look up close would be able to determine that, but, uh, you you know, I guess the experts, but the untrained eye, again, wouldn't be able to determine that. Now, you bring up a good point because, uh, dimensions play a lot into this, and that, you know, a lot of people will look at a, uh, a Fiero that's been made into a Lamborghini. Because uh-huh. uh, that's a big convert. That was a big time conversion a long time ago. Was that a Fiero would be made into a Lamborghini Countach or a Diablo? Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, the problem was some of these kits didn't require you to stretch the frame so that there was an appropriate wheelbase. And uh, what you ended up with was a bunch of really squat, um, um, <laughs> kind of off-looking Lamborghini yeah. Countaches on the road, mm-hmm. and people could spot those quickly. And determine that that is a, uh, that's a kit car. However, now there are some that are, you know, and, and even back then, if you stretch them, you know, 11 or 12 inches or whatever the requirement was for certain kits, uh, you got a very realistic looking kit car that you didn't know was a Fiero until you opened the, the Lamborghini doors and it's suddenly it's, you know, a, a GM product inside. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, it's got that little tiny V6 in the back end. Right. Um, Or, you know, maybe in some cases they upgraded it to a a V8 of some kind. But, you know, you had no idea that it was a a Fiero until, again, you you got up a lot closer and looked at it. Because, you know, people would buy the appropriate badges. Mm -hmm. They get authentic, um, you know, they go so far far as to get authentic Lamborghini glass put in these things. And, um, you know, for a lot of people... From, you know, 10 feet away, you wouldn't know the difference between an authentic version and a kit car version.
4: Unless the authentic version and kit car version were racing, that is. Yeah,
3: that's the thing. Now, <laughs> also, you know, if, you, if you're if you going to have a kit car, this is one This is one of my own, my own pet peeves, I guess. Okay, go for it. Let's say that you have a uh, Lamborghini kit car. There I am. And you stick with the, uh, you know, the V6 Viero engine that's in the back of those things to begin with. You know, okay, you got, so
4: I didn't go for a V8. I just kept the V6. Exactly.
3: And I, I guess that happens. I mean, I think it does um what's the point of that really i mean it seems like you would you would just kind of up the ante a little bit and say like i'm just going to convert this over at least to a v8 mm-hmm. uh, something with a little bit more power because how embarrassing is that going to be if you're on the you know the line <laughs> out of right. traffic and uh you know suddenly this uh this this honda crx next to me is a lot faster than my lamborghini countash uh, i'm going to feel like a fool right so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh Levels of this that I think people need to to think about before they get into it, you know. It, mm-hmm. Now I'm
4: on the same page with you, Scott, because yeah. it seems to me that if you get that close to this conversion, if you're if you're shooting for this, um, what's the fancy word for it, verisimilitude, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're shooting for that almost thereness, um, then I don't think you should stop at eight and a half yards if you've already made the leap and you've got the body. I think you should convert to a V6 to a V8. Now that's just, that's just one point. Another important point that we need to make here is that we are not implying that this is a style over substance situation. Um, it can be in some cases, but it really depends on what you want out of this vehicle once you have it. Mm -hmm. You can, especially if you're willing to put in the time, it's going to be an immensely instructive learning experience, one. Um, two yes most let's be honest uh, most people probably are going to think you are actually driving a cobra
3: yeah sure and, and, and that's a good point uh you know, a lot of the cobras that you see most of them are kit cars really i mean mm-hmm. it's pretty rare when you'll find a an authentic real cobra out on the road i mean those things are half a million dollars plus yeah have you seen one uh a real one only at you know shows and auctions and things yeah. like that but never I don't. i don't think i've ever seen one on the road if i have you know, I can't spot it from a kit car because the kit cars are so good now for that that yeah. type of model. Because everybody seems to be doing that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite vehicles that we've listed ever. I mean, I think we've done our top ten favorite cars or something. Yeah. A Lotus Eleven. Uh, uh, the yes. Lotus Eleven is is a um, Westfield makes a Lotus Eleven kit car that is fantastic, Ben. And mm-hmm. you know, to get a real Lotus Eleven, you're talking about a car that has probably has, like, Lama race history or, you know, some type of history in its past, yeah. a, a real one. And you're going to pay, again, half a million dollars or something like that. But if you get a, uh, you know, Westfield 11 kit, and these things are released in very low numbers, you know, that type of vehicle. But, yeah. um, I don't know, it seems like just a, a very attainable way to get something like that. Um, that you know it's, it's a very authentic british sports car you know it runs with uh, it has different running gear it has you know an mg uh, 1275 engine I think and you know that's more than enough power for the size and, and make of this car but it's authentic in the way it looks it's authentic in the the interior package um, you know it's been I guess tested and proven, you know the the chassis mm-hmm. and the, you know the suspension and everything. Um, they're well, they're very, very well done in a lot of cases. And you know, if you have the factory build it, even better in most cases. You know, I mean, you can always improve on things yourself as well. But um, you know, have the factory building for you, and, and then you just uh, have a, a Lotus, new Lotus Eleven delivered to your door. How cool would that be? See, I
4: think that would be magnificent, and I think it would be worth it as well. Now we have to look at the other side of the equation. Maybe there are Kuntosh owners, to take the earlier example, who look down on the people who
3: have made a kit car. Well, I think they would. Yeah, I think. Because I think they the, have the original. They're the, yeah. they're the authentic, real thing. That's the real deal. Yeah, but, I, but I for think some people, right, but... like like with my Lotus Eleven example or the Countach example, um, some cars in in you know some respect either either money you know is a concern sure. or um, just you know being able to locate one because you know they're so old and there's so few available and they're yes. museum pieces. Um, this is really maybe for some people the only way to get a, a, a Cobra Daytona Coupe, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to go to you know ERA and get you know a, a replica built, you know, for you know in that case eighty thousand. dollars or whatever it happens to be, they sound expensive, but you know it beats a half a million.
4: Yes, and again, now I know I'm harping on this, man, but I mean we do work for a website called How Stuff Works. Uh, this is such a great learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I have my druthers, if I could choose between, you know infinite, uh, or excuse me, let's be a little more realistic, millions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Or millions of hours of free time, I think that I would end up taking the kit car route just because I would learn more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so... Uh Pe- people deserve to do what they want with, with their income, right? And not everybody has uh, enough free time to do a kit car. But if you have the opportunity, then what you're also going to be getting is an experience. Mm-hmm.
3: And you can't really put a price on that. Yeah, this would be an amazing project for somebody that, uh, you know, they they do have a lot of free time. Um, or they have, you know, like a, a father-son or father-daughter or mother-son, you know, any combination, whatever you want, grandfather-son. Um, this would be a, a ton of fun for somebody to do, to take on, you know, maybe even if it's, uh, a kit that happens over two years. You know, mm-hmm. we're gonna build this this summer and next summer, and by the third summer, it'll be ready for the road. That's a great um, deal. Yeah, something like that. You know, with, if you have a, a realistic plan in mind, not saying like, I'm gonna get this done by the end of the month, um, cause that's really unrealistic in a lot of these cases. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a great project, and, and we don't mean to discourage anybody from doing this by any means. Just know what you're getting into. In fact, I would almost encourage it because it's such a great experience to do something like this. I mean, just modifying any car is a great experience. If you If you take it to the next level and you build a car, even better. Yeah. Hey, uh, Scott, is that a list of some popular kit car models? Yeah, you know I've got a list, and I mean you'll find just a ton of these out there. I mean, of course, there's a lot of Lamborghinis and Ferraris, but they're, they're not badged Ferrari, really. Right. Um, Porsche Cobras, GT40s. Um, oh, Exoskeleton cars like the uh, the Aerial Atom. Nice. You um, remember we talked about how that is not a street legal car unless you receive it as a kit car and build it yourself. Remember, yes. We remember we talked about that. So there's podcast. a there's
4: a strange. Little thing about that. There's a, uh, there's a loophole in the law, which, uh, also applies in some other places here, uh, which is one of the reasons that some things, uh, came as kit cars in the kit car craze. Sure. Uh, it would be either not street legal or it would be taxed differently if you bought the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But if you buy the pieces and assemble them yourselves, uh,
3: yourself, you save a little money. Dodging the tax man. And such is the case with the Ariel Adam. And uh, there's a lot of uh, classic vehicles, like old Jaguars, like the XK120, mm-hmm. um, a lot of MG cars, like the TD model. Those are popular. Oh, the old Doom buggies from the 1970s and 60s. <laughs> yes. Those are still popular, Ben. A lot of people have those. Um, there are trike kits for for uh, motorcycles, uh-huh. um, cheetah cars, you know, which is like a continuation of, of the original race car, which is really cool. Oh, you can find. Okay. So, like, they had the race car, they built it for a while, they stopped manufacturing. It And then a company took over and started building authentic cheetah cars, uh, which are really cool. You should take a look at those mm. if you get a chance uh, really fast. Uh, Vipers. Yeah. Humvee lookalikes. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of those out there. Rolls-Royce uh, Bentley cars. Art uh-huh. Deco-era cars are big. Uh, they're very expensive uh, if yes. you want to get one of the Art Deco cars, but um, they're, they're out there. Oh, and of course... I think the last one I want to mention is race car replicas. You can buy a replica race car that's a track day car, because some people build these for street use, and other people build, uh, kit cars for track day use, and, you know, strictly track use. Yeah. And, uh, some of those projects are really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like the one seat type cars with the bubble canopies and things, those are really, really fun. Um, but again, that's just strictly track use, not a street use car. So, do we have, we have one more thing maybe? Maybe. One more thing! So I mentioned just a few minutes ago about uh, ERA replicas, right? Yes. And I don't know if anybody pronounces as ERA replicas, but I think it's ERA replicas. Um, but they have a lot of different vehicles. Now, they have Cobra and GT40 replicas. The GT40 replicas in particular are what I'm talking about here. And this is a USA company, a company based in uh, Connecticut. Um, you pay a deposit. Now, these are the base price. Now, the standard kit is around Fifty-four thousand nine hundred dollars, and that's the standard kit. So that gives you an idea of the level of, of this type of vehicle. It's a really, really uh, well done kit. Um, now the, these replicas, you you can pay a deposit. You can do these in different payment methods, so you know you don't have to come up with all this money right up front. Yeah. Uh, like maybe six thousand dollars to hold the vehicle. You know, just the kit, so that uh, they say that we're going to lock this price in for you until you're ready to build it. Um, then it, it takes about, uh, I think it takes them about six weeks to build a kit uh, from start to finish, about four months to completely complete the car, like everything done. Yeah. So if they build it, it takes about six weeks, and then expect about four months to totally finish everything. Um, the, the next step would be the payment of uh, about 20%, which is required once the build starts. So that you know they've got you know in good faith that they you're gonna continue with this and you're paying for their labor really. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, and then the final payment, um there's like a twenty percent again, twenty percent of the total upon delivery of the vehicle to you. Uh, but y- y- just to give you an idea, if you buy a kit from them, uh the replica kit, you know, the GT forty, here's what you supply, Ben. Now this is this here you we an go. Now, so here we go you get this fifty four thousand dollar nine hundred kit. A fifty-four thousand nine hundred dollar kit, and and what's not included is the engine, Ouch. the transaxle, yeah, uh, the rack and pinion steering, the brakes, <sighs> what? the front and rear coilover suspension, the wheels and tires, the windshield, the head, the you know the handbrake lever, the exhaust system. It sounds like there's not a whole lot there, but really there's a lot there. I'll tell you. I mean, there's there's fifty-nine thousand dollars worth of material there under the body, um, and it's a lot of work. This will give you an idea of just how extensive it is to build something like this. I mean it's it's a pricey endeavor. Um, again, you could they say you can expect two to three hundred dollars to build your own kit if you know what you're doing. That doesn't include paint and body work that you have to do along with it. Right. Um, again you'll find out that you know if you don't know how to put a windshield in a car uh, which not a whole lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, that's something you're probably going to have to farm out to somebody else, or you're going to have to have somebody come in and teach you how to do it in your own garage, or you're going to have to really learn quick because you don't want to mess it up on your, you know, your sixty thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Toy. Call
4: one of the uh, broken windshield delivery guys.
3: Yeah. I mean, you're probably going to have somebody build a uh, build an engine for you, so that's going to be another ten thousand dollars. Uh You know, something Ooh. that's worthy of, of the GT40 body, really, because again, you're not going to want to have something awful in there. Yeah. Um, from the pull apart. or Yeah. Something. Exactly. You're not going to have a, like, you yeah, Well, I'm not going to name any names. Any. Type of engine or car, <laughs> um, yeah, that's or that's you know, a, a transaxle that you know somebody has completely gone through and, and built for you to be able to stand all that horsepower. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be expensive. And you know, even if you install it yourself, it's still going to be you know five grand or something to go and, through that. Yeah, because you'll want um, quality parts the entire way. All of this stuff. I mean, even the wheels and tires. That's probably another two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars. It's it, things are going to be measured in thousand dollar bills. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, this is a ERA is a very reputable company. Been around a long time. They build a lot of great cars, and we're not doing commercial for them or anything i just want to say that you know that's a that's the kind of a top level kit car manufacturer um and they have all those different levels that we talked about you know the the turnkey car the roller car the kit car yeah um, all these different levels that you can purchase and it's kind of up to you where the, the point is that you want to kind of jump on this project
4: and at this point we would also like to know what you decide to do kit car wise Man, it would be uh, so cool to us if we could get a letter from someone describing their kit car the way that Luke and Adrian mm-hmm. sent to uh, sent a letter to us. And thank you guys again. It would be um, it would be excellent if somebody was mid. Uh, way through building
3: it. We would love to check that out. Yep.
4: And uh, let's see, what else? Well,
3: what else I've got one to... more little thing I want to mention here, and it's a. Uh, there's this really great article uh, that came out a long time ago, but you can find it online easily. It's called Crate Expectations, uh, Building Westfield's Lotus 11 Replica. It's by Peter Egan, and it's from the no- October 1983 Road & Track magazine issue. And uh, it details the the build of a car by the, uh, by the Road & Track staff. And uh, how they unloaded the crates by hand. You know, one night, it was like a Friday night. Everybody stayed late, helped unload this thing. Cool. They built it. I don't remember exactly how long it took, but it was a quick build by all these guys there. I mean, it was a big, big team effort. It wasn't one person by any means. Uh, but it was just a... Uh um a really concise article in, in what to expect with something like this and and uh I don't know it's it's a great article so again just search crate expectations that's with a c crate c r a t e expectations and uh, and you'll find it it's a it's a good read and it's a it's a pun That's a pun. On, on great expectations. Well, you gotta like
4: that. This is me getting the joke. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so we are going to head out. Guys, we hope you enjoyed our episode on kit cars. Scott, I feel like we could do some really strong episodes just on specific kit
3: cars. I've got, so I'm surrounded with notes right now. Yes, stuff that I didn't get to that I meant to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we didn't uh, answer all of Luke's questions and Adrian's questions, I think we did. But, um, you know... Trying to get so much information out there, maybe it's more uh, more material for another nuts and bolts episode.
4: Yeah, perhaps it is. Uh, we uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed uh, making this podcast. So, as always, thanks to our super producer Noel Scott. Uh, thank you for doing yet another episode with me. Likewise, Ben. Oh, yeah, sure, my pleasure. And uh, thank you to you guys for listening. In the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook. You can drop us a line on Twitter, or you can send us an email directly at carstuffanddiscovery.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway.
1: Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.